Good morning and Happy New Year. It's good to see you this morning, this Lord's Day, as we gather to worship the triune God in the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. I would ask you, be so kind if you would turn to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We're going to be looking at the overseer the overseer, the elder, the shepherd, the pastor, all of these terms are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same office that the man of God, the blessed man uh, who follows after the law of the Lord, who delights in that law day and night in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's my prayer this morning that as we consider the office of overseer, we would come to see and appreciate God's goodness and giving us Wes as one of the many gifts that the exalted and risen Christ has given to his church. So let's listen now to God's holy word as I will read chapter 3, 1 through 7. This is the word of the living God. Give it your utmost attention. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires, reaches out, desires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble or excellent or good task or work. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, not pugnacious, but gentle, reasonable, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Grass withers, the flowers soon fade, just like us, but the word of the Lord abides forever. It is our portion It's our only hope. Let's go before the living God and ask his blessing on his holy word. Our triune God, the Savior of his people, we come to you this day. We come in Jesus Christ, the spotless lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the blessed man of the Psalter of Psalm 1, the king of Psalm 2, We come in his merits, we come in his active and passive obedience, boldly and humbly to the throne of grace in our time of need. And we're never more needy, Father, than when we sit before you in your holy word. Lord, come in the power of your spirit and illuminate the text that you have breathed out through your spirit, that we might not be those tossed to and fro by every wind and error of doctrine but might be established. We might be those blessed trees of Psalm 1 planted deeply in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Lord, our righteousness. 
Bless now this service for thy glory and for the good of your people. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Nothing Paul tells us here in 1 Timothy 3 is possible apart from the saving union that a man of God has in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why any man being considered to serve in this office of overseer, elder, shepherd, cries with the Apostle Paul, who is sufficient for these things. Beloved, the qualifications, the roles, the responsibilities of the elder, overseer, are only possible as a result of Christ living in the man of God. The men who would serve in the office of elder are qualified to lead only insofar as Christ is living in them and working through them. So this morning, let's look at the qualifications. We can't spend a lot of time, but we're going to briefly look at them under two headings, the desire of the overseer and secondly, the character of the overseer. So first, the desire, right? He's aspiring toward it. He's reaching out, as it were. That's the literal meaning of the word, to be an overseer, and then the character, the qualifications. What does this man look like? What is he like when no one else is watching except his God? So first, the desire of an overseer, verse 1. Paul begins with a trustworthy saying. He's used this phrase before in chapter 1, verse 15, and now he employs it once again. If anyone aspires, desires, sets his heart to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, this word overseer here is the word episkopos, and along with the word presbyteros, from which we get our word elder, as I mentioned earlier, these two titles are used interchangeably in the New Testament to refer to the same office. You can follow that along in Titus chapter 1, 5 through 7, Acts 20, 17 through 38. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. The overseers are those appointed by God to watch over and protect the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says the man who desires to serve in this office aspires to a noble task, a noble work. And I thought that was an interesting word that Paul would say it's, it's a noble calling, it's a noble uh, position, but it's a work. The word here is work. And that's what the elder does. He, he works. He's a guardian. He's a watchman on the wall of God's visible church, guarding, protecting, ruling, governing the church. You see, beloved, it's a noble and excellent work because it involves caring and nurturing for the people of God, the very people for whom Christ shed His precious blood. Now, that should cause any man to pause and to take inventory. That God would entrust men, men with clay feet, to guard, protect, rule over, govern, shepherd, pastor people that he has purchased with his own blood. That's laudable and a right desire. So secondly, the character of an overseer in verses 2 to 7. The character, having looked at the desire, let's look at the character. In verse 2, Paul says, first, the general requirement for the man who would serve in the office of overseer is that he is to be above reproach. Now, this does not mean he must be perfect, but rather he must be of blameless reputation. 
he must be blameless. And I would make the distinction between perfect and blameless. The Word of God clearly does. Job was blameless. Was he perfect? No. Clearly, we know he wasn't perfect, but he was blameless. There was no glaring issue of character in Job, nor will there be in the overseer. This qualification has to do with a man's irreproachable conduct. The elder must be a man of good character. He's a good man and all that that entails. Full. He's, He's full of goodness and mercy. He's full of grace. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is better than great riches. And the man who would be an elder, an overseer, a shepherd has a good name. He's blameless. He's beyond reproach. From this general characteristic of being above reproach, Paul proceeds to the particulars, right? He, he gets into the specificity, and he lays out 14 qualifications, 14 characteristics. And I'm going to add one, not because I'm adding to the Word of God, but because I believe the one that I will add, verse 15, number 15, and believe it or not, I'm going to get through all 15 today in due season, right? Now, how long that season will be is yet to be determined, but it's implied in the text. Paul here gets his fingernails, he gets his hands dirty in the heart of the man who would be an elder, an overseer a shepherd of his blood-bought people, right? So first, notice that the focus of the list is not on gifting. Did you notice that? Right? So often we think, well, he must be aptly gifted. Well, that's true, he must be. And gifting is extremely important. But notice that the emphasis is on character. You see, man looks on the outward He makes evaluations carnally, according to the flesh. How does he dress? How's his diction? Where did he go to school? What does he do in the world, his secular vocation? What does he do? That's not what Paul is concerned about. More importantly, that's not what the Holy Spirit is most concerned with. You see, God looks on the heart. You see, while one's gifting is extremely important, right, we're told he must be apt to teach, the Holy Spirit emphasis here is on the overseer's character. Robert Murray McShane, that godly Scottish divine and pastor, told his people and had written, the greatest need of my people is my personal holiness. You see, a holy man, a humble and contrite man before the Lord is an awful weapon in the hands of the living God. Satan fears the holy man, the overseer whose heart is set on the things of God. So let's briefly walk through the qualifications. First, after looking at that general qualification, beyond reproach, blameless, first he must be the husband of one wife. Now there's a lot of ink that's been spilt on exactly what this means. There are four views. We don't have time to go all through all four, but let me give you the one that's right. The Holy Spirit here is prescribing if the overseer is married, that he must be a faithful man. He must be faithful to his wife. The text literally says the elder must be a man of one woman. 
a one-woman man. The elder must be faithful in his, to his wife in a monogamous covenant relationship. You see, this would disqualify all those guilty of marital unfaithfulness. In context here in 1 Timothy 3, the elders who are called to teach sound doctrine and exercise discipline in the church must themselves have an unblemished reputation in the area of sexual fidelity and marriage. They must be blameless in this area. Secondly, the next qualifying qualifying mark, the elder must be sober-minded or temperate. Paul's going to go on and tell us he he must not be addicted to much wine. He must not be a drunkard. He must be clear-headed. He must have sound judgment. The only thing the elder is to be intoxicated with is his wife. He's to be intoxicated with her love. That's the language of the Word of God. Proverbs 5, 19. To be intoxicated always with her. The Word of God goes so far. Children, we need to understand this. We need to recapture the imagination of godly, biblical imagination of biblical human sexuality. As the Word of God tells the man of God, oh, that your wife's breasts would satisfy you, that your cisterns would run full. You see, God is not ashamed of sexuality. He created it. We need to redeem it. And the man of God knows this. He's clear-headed. He's full of sound judgment. He's intoxicated with his wife. Thirdly, in addition, the elder must be self-controlled. In the Greek, it's being in control of oneself, prudent, thoughtful. You see, while the elder must be exemplary in being self-controlled, all Christians are called to this. You see, all of us are called to be men and women, boys and girls who are full of self-control. Right? The elder is not controlled by his passions and lust. He's, he longs to be and with his Savior. He, he longs to be like his Savior, to be led by his Savior, to be controlled by the Savior, to walk in step with the Spirit. You see, beloved, the elder, particularly the teaching elder, is often left unsupervised for long periods of time. And self-control are Disciplined and discipline are a must for the elder, particularly for the teaching elder. You need to pray for me. I'm not too proud to know that I need discipline. You need to pray for my discipline, that I would be self-controlled, controlled by the Spirit, a man who is clear-headed. Fourthly, the qualification. He must be respectable. This denotes the qualities that invoke admiration. The overseer is that guy you want to be like. I want to be like that guy. I want to be like my dad, right? Because he has these qualities, these these characteristics. It's the fragrance of his life. It's, It's who he is. It's not just what he does. It's who he is. It's who he is when no one else is watching other than Christ. This refers to the man's deportment. How does he carry himself? Is he admired, respected? Fifthly, an elder and overseer must be hospitable. You see, the elder's home is open to the care of the needs of others. It's not closed off to those who are in material need. This word hospitable literally means a love for strangers. 
The homeless guy comes to the elder's home. The elder knows how with clear judgment and understanding to take the word of God in that particular situation to diagnose the situation correctly, not only the the providence, but the person himself knowing how to apply the word. Their home is open. Search on all of Christians, but especially those who would lead in the church. You see, who knows? As you practice hospitality, church, you, you might entertain angels. You see, that person who comes to you, this need, this stranger, this fellow Christian who's passing through, comes and they need a place to stay and your home's ready. Got that bedroom ready, right, Susu? To entertain, to, to be hospitable, to serve. Because the overseer knows that all he's been entrusted with, the steward, is not his, but God's. And he's at God's disposal, ready to be used. Sixthly, in the midst of a series of moral qualities, notice what Paul does. Paul lists a professional qualification. You see, the elder must be apt to teach. He must be a skilled workman. He knows how to rightly divide the Word of God. He's not ashamed of the gospel. He knows the hermeneutic of the law-gospel distinction. He knows how to apply the Word of God when the law is needed to the proud The haughty, the law comes and it strikes. It slays and humbles and humiliates and leaves one helpless. And then the elder knows to come with the balm of the gospel, the blood, the cross, the power of the resurrection, applying it to this needy soul. You see, that's the man of God. That's the overseer. That's the shepherd. That's the pastor. He's an awful weapon in the hands of the living God. He's a spiritual physician, rightly applying the word to each particular lamb in situation. This description, apt to teach, appears in only one other place in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24. There, as well as here, it is used to describe the man who's skilled in teaching sound doctrine. He's skilled. When you go to the doctor, you want a skilled physician. When you're undergoing surgery, you want someone who's skilled. You want to ask, how many times have you done this, buddy? Well, three, and I've watched a YouTube video. Uh, Next. No, 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 no. No, I want someone skilled, gifted by the Holy Spirit, who can take the Word and, and apply it aptly, correctly, faithfully, to the situation, to that needy lamb, that needy saint, that needy unbeliever. Titus 9 tells us what the skill looks like in practice. The elder has the ability to give instruction in the faith, and he's also able to rebuke those who contradict it. He's not afraid to, to stand in the gap. He's not afraid to be a sheepdog because they're wolves who desire your soul's destruction. And he will fight to the death to defend the gospel. And your soul, he will lay down his life willingly for you, for the people of God. There's no better friend and no worse enemy than a faithful 
ruling elder, teaching elder. 2 Timothy 2.25, it further defines the skill that's involved in the overseer. Paul tells Timothy there to correct two men who are in grave error, not just minor differences of application of the law of God, but rather men who were denying the the bodily, physical, corporeal resurrection of Jesus Christ. The article upon which the church literally stands without that doctrine. And, And yet Paul tells Timothy, correcting them with gentleness. Now think about that. Need I go further with gentleness? All the while asking God to grant repentance to the one in error. You see, saints, the elder fights the good fight of faith, but he fights with God's weapons. He doesn't use the machinations of Wall Street, the Marine Corps. No, he uses the decree and the will of the living triune God, the only wise God, his law and his gospel. Seventhly, the Elder is not to be a drunkard. Again, he's not to be given to too much wine. As we saw in verse 2, he's to be temperate, sober-minded. The Proverbs 31, 4 and 5. It's not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Do you see that? God cares for the afflicted, the widow, the orphan, the needy, the bruised reed, the smoldering wick. The man of God is aware of these things. Now, he doesn't advocate total abstinence here, but self-mastery is a must. Again, self-control. The man of God must be self-controlled. And you know, beloved, that's not something you muster on your own. Self-control is what? A a fruit of what? The Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, you cannot bear fruit. You cannot bear the fruits, the qualities, the characteristics that are necessary for the man of God, the overseer, the shepherd, the pastor apart from the abiding work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's vanity. And all of us, beloved, all of us this morning are called to emulate these things. To decrease that He might increase. To die that He might live through us. That in our death others might be fed Him, Jesus Christ. That we be conduits of grace to the church. You see? It's a work, it's ergon, it's a task, it's noble, it's excellent. And the only way the man of God can do this is through abiding in Jesus Christ. You can't pretend, you can't dress up and play make-believe because you'll be found out. You'll be exposed. Eventually, you will be exposed. Eighthly, 
Is he going to make it? You're asking yourself that question. The elder must not be violent. He's not a bully. He's not pugnacious. He's not a man who likes to brawl. Unlike the false teachers there in Ephesus, in Timothy's context there in the first century, who Paul tells us and characterizes in 6.3 as those characterized by conceit and strife. The elder does not use his authority and position to intimidate others. Right? We've been around people who like to use their skill set, their dynamism, in their position of authority to leverage it against others. The man of God doesn't do that. That's not how he rolls. Ninthly, he's not violent but gentle. He's not a man who insists on every right of the letter of the law. Now think about that. Not every right of the letter of the law. He's yielding. He's reasonable. He's kind. He's, he's gracious and for. And again, these things are to characterize the entire body of Jesus Christ. But they're to be exemplary in the man of God who would serve as an overseer. He's clear-headed about sin. He understands it deserves judgment. And yet the man of God is not judgmental. Now think about that. Now think about the nuance of that. Right? He, he knows how to make a judgment to cut it straight. And yet he's not judgmental. Because he knows except for the grace of God there goes he. He knows that he has nothing that he has not received from Jesus Christ. That he was an object of wrath. He was without hope. He was without God. He was in a far country. And the Son of God had to leave heaven to come to the far country to secure his salvation. And the man of God knows this. The man of God is humbled by it. Tenthly, the elder is not quarrelsome. Literally, this means he's without battle. You see, the overseer will fight when duty calls, yet he's not by nature a contentious man. <laughs> it's not in his DNA to be a contentious man. His redeemed DNA, that is, in Jesus Christ. In his Adamic nature, of course, we're built for polemics. We're built to slay Abel. Because I'm not happy with the sacrifice that Abel gave. I'm jealous. I'm envious. I'm contentious. You see, the elder's patience will be tried by demanding and wayward sinners. But like his Savior, he's always seeking to be gentle. He never crushes the bruised reed. Or at least he doesn't intend to. He doesn't just stuff out the, the smoldering wick. Eleven, the elder is not a lover of money. Here Paul is contrasting the elder with those false teachers in the last days who are characterized as those who are lovers of money. 
The elder is the man who knows that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, not least of which is falling away from the faith. The overseer, the shepherd, the pastor, the, the elder knows. He remembers Demas. Demas is always in his frame of reference. For the love of the world, Demas departed the faith. He knows the snares of, of Vanity Fair, all the glitz and all the glitter, the fool's gold that's out there in Vanity Fair. He knows it. And he makes a covenant with his eyes. And he tries and he, he keeps himself accountable by surrounding himself with other men and other saints who will call him on the carpet when he needs to be called. Because it's not about him. Your justification is not about you, nor is your sanctification. It's about him, the Lamb, the one who's worthy to open the scrolls. When everyone in heaven is crying because there's no one worthy to open the scrolls, there was a Lamb who was wounded, who had scars. It's all about him, you see. It's all about him, church. Always. A man of God, the overseer, the ruler. He knows this. Twelfth, the elder must manage his own household well. He, he must faithfully look after those under his charge in his own home. Again, while this does not mean perfection, lest no one qualify, it does mean the elder leads the way for both his home and the church. He disciplines his children in love and grace with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. His children are rebellious. While every problem might not be his fault in the home, he takes and knows every problem is his responsibility. Nonetheless, the buck stops with him. And I think that's a fine distinction. You need to write that down. Why? Why must he be able to manage his home faithfully? Answer verse 5. For because if he does not know how to manage his own household, how would he care for the church of the living God, which is the, the pillar and the foundation of truth? How is he going to manage God's church? You see what he's doing? He's arguing from the lesser to the greater. The proven ground for leadership in the church is the Christian home. Thirteen, elder must not be a recent convert. He, literally, this means he, he must not be a newly planted Christian. Think of a newly planted tree, right? The roots don't go down very far. No matter how many roots it has, it doesn't go far deep into the soil. That's the picture, a little sapling. Now, Paul does not specify how recent is too recent, but the title elder itself emphasizes maturity. The elder must have proven character, which assumes enough time has passed to prove that he really is who he says he is. Time provides the evidence, the manifestation of maturity. You see, faithfulness and good character will be the fruit of a mature Christian man. I love what Calvin says here. Calvin says, we must wait until their ideas and ideals have been subdued. Those of us on the session know exactly what that means. 
You enter the, the office of elder, you have all these ideals and ideas. Just like you do when you're a new parent, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to do it better than those who've gone before me. Oh, how foolish. How idealistic. Calvin knew this in Geneva. We know this here, do we not, elders? Beloved, when this fruit is lacking, there's a risk that the overseer might become proud, having been exalted to the position too soon, and becoming proud, Paul says he might fall into the very condemnation of who? A sinner? No. The devil. Don't lay hands on a man too soon. I don't care how gifted he is, how talented he is. Be careful. 14, a faithful elder ought to be thought well of by outsiders. He's to have a good reputation in the public sphere, in his neighborhood. You go to his pool, you go to his SRA, so to speak, and you ask, what is he like? And Well, I can't, there's nothing really I can say bad about the guy. Not so much he's a nice guy. That's not what we're talking about, niceness. We're talking about men who have integrity and character. Who have a there, there. They have a substance to them. He must have a consistent testimony. Lest he fall into the snare of who? A sinner? No, again, what does Paul say? The devil. Isn't it interesting? Now stop. This is the time. This doesn't go against my time. Isn't it interesting here that Paul uses devil twice? <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. The snare of the devil? You mean like those who fall into the snare of riches, want to get rich quick schemes, right? Win the mega millions or whatever, lottery of life? And then 15, you didn't think I'd get there. 15, a faithful overseer knows God and he knows himself. And you're saying, well, pastor, I don't see that in the text. Doesn't Revelation 22 have something to say about those who would add to God's word? I think it's implied nonetheless. Beloved, as the man of God looks at the totality of the list, knowing God's standards Knowing God's holiness, that God is a consuming fire. His eyes are too pure to look upon iniquity, even the smallest sin he cannot look upon. The little lie that you made in food, he can't even look on it. His eyes cannot look on it. He's too pure. The man of God knows this, he knows his own shortcomings. He cries with Paul, doesn't he? Who is sufficient for these things? Who is sufficient? It's as if the word of God were going to the entirety of human history. Who is sufficient? We're all like Job, aren't we? Job 38. We're just doing that. That's all we can do. Is there anyone sufficient? Is there just one son of Adam who could be sufficient? 
Beloved, the gospel comes after the law comes and it slays and silences you. And heaven says, there is one. There is one sufficient. Born of a virgin under the law to redeem those under the law that they might become sons. Peter calls him in 1 Peter 3, or rather 1 Peter 2, 25. Guess what he calls him? The overseer of our souls. The overseer of our souls is sufficient. And that's the only way. Only in him and through his person and work can we stand as justified and holy in his presence. So this morning, lift your eyes from yourself. See the overseer of your soul. Don't look to Wes. Don't look to Pastor Bullock. Don't look to your session. Look to the overseer of your soul, the Lord Jesus Christ. The author and finisher of your faith. He has proved faithful. He is the vine and you are the branches. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But in him, all things are possible for them who believe. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ, this great overseer of the word of God, can take men with clay feet and make them officers in his church. He gives us officers. We don't make them here. There's no no machinations or machinery over there in my office I can make an elder, an officer, deacon. No, God gives them. Church, pray for Wes. Pray for your officers, your elders, your deacons. Encourage them in their labors. And remember, above everything else, to give thanks to the overseer of your soul who's given officers to the church. May God bless all saints, Reformed Presbyterian Church, Richmond, Virginia, all of our days. Amen. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you it is sufficient for all of faith and life to decree and prescribe what we are to believe and what duty you require of us. Give us grace to be humble servants, humble children, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We pray this in your name. Amen.